Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Associate Pastor Ian Mulraney. All right, guys, we did it. Abraham's in the grave now. We we started out when he was 75 years old in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. And it seemed like he was probably due for that sooner rather than later. So the fact that he made it almost 100 years after when his journey started is pretty pretty good. 170 years old. Um, 175, he did live 100 years afterwards. So that's pretty incredible. Um, Yeah, we've watched Abraham leave on this promise that he's going to inherit this land. So he left behind his old way of living, his familiar culture, uh, his old gods, and he packed up his family and went to this land. And he was 75 years old, and his wife was old, and he was promised he was going to have descendants. And he just went on faith. And then we saw all sorts of things happen while he was in this promised land. There was a famine. He went down to Egypt. He lied about his wife being his wife. He came back, he fought some battles to rescue his nephew. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Then they did have a baby. Him and Sarah, his wife, in their old age, had a baby when they were almost 100 years old, named Isaac. And he had another son before that because he wasn't sure that Sarah would be able to conceive. And he was asked to sacrifice Isaac, the one that was the promised child. And he went and he was going to do it, and then God intervened. And that was our last sermon passage a few weeks ago. Um, actually, was that last week? Time flies. That was last week. Uh, a couple things have happened in between then. In that time, uh, Sarah has died. She passed away. And Abraham had to buy a cave to bury her in. Uh, Isaac grew up and he got married. There's a whole long uh, love story in Genesis uh, 24 that talks about finding a bride named Rebecca for Isaac, and she's going to give birth to Jacob and Esau, um, and Jacob's going to give birth to Joseph, if you're familiar with him. And this is going to be Abraham's family, but Abraham's final, the climax was kind of taking Isaac up uh, to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him, and he gets to live the rest of his years in relative peace. The one thing I think that I hope we can learn from today and maybe you see from the life of Abraham in general is that Abraham stands as a testament of hope that we can be confident to believe the promises of God. And that's our lesson for today. So we can have confidence to hope in God's promises. That's what Abraham's life story is about. And that's what is true for us, you and I, here in modern day America today. Promise was the overarching force that drove the Abraham narrative. You know, he had lived his life, but we start recording his story once God tells him to go to this land far away because he's going to be given these things. And do we remember what the things were? Does anyone remember what Abraham was promised by God? Descendants as numerous as the stars. Yes. (laughs) Wow. Awesome memory, Justin. That's okay. No, that's fine. <laughs> Descendants as numerous as the stars. Who else has a great memory like Justin? Because that's the land of the Canaanites. Yes. And uh, there's one more big one. Does anyone know? That all peoples on earth will be blessed. 
Yes. Okay. Good job, guys. I, I'm glad that we've learned something this series. <laughs> um, this is like open note test on the last day of class, right? Okay. Um, yeah, but these are the three big promises that God made to Abraham. That he would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. That he would possess the land of Canaan. And his ancestors would possess the land of Canaan. And that all peoples on earth would be blessed through Abraham and his offspring. And what's crazy about these promises is in Genesis 15, Abraham had been living in the land for a couple of years. And he hadn't seen any, any evidence of these things coming to fruition. And so he actually goes to God and he says, what's the deal? How come these things aren't coming to be? And you know what God tells him? God tells him, well, you're actually not going to see these things totally fulfilled. You're going to get a taste of them, but you're not going to see them totally complete. Your ancestors are going to be as numerous as the stars, but you're not going to live to see that. You know, it'll take generations. You're going to possess the land of Canaan, but not in your life. And God actually tells Abraham, in fact, your descendants are going to be slaves for 400 years before they get the land. And so Abraham, it's in this passage where God is saying, you're going to get these things, but not, you're not going to see them. That that verse, you know, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's where that verse is. Abraham believed in the promises of God that he wasn't going to see these things fulfilled, but believed that they were going to happen. We're going to talk more about that last one, but I think Gary said it in his first sermon when he was talking about Abram and Lot, of like, if you go to any country on earth today, you're going to find people who claim heritage to Abraham, whether they be Jewish, Christian, or Muslim, there's people in every nation around the world who would say that Abraham, now you can go back up, who would say that Abraham is their spiritual or uh, physical ancestor in some way. And that's incredible, right? This nomad who had nothing, who was just a sheep herder, is somehow one of the most important people in the history of world culture. It's crazy. And that's part of what that third promise means. Can you go back to that slide with the promises, Kyle? Thanks. Okay. So Abraham doesn't see these promises fulfilled in their completion, but he does get a taste, right? All those weird names Amanda was reading, you know, sons born from Keturah. We don't really talk about Keturah a lot, right? She's Abraham's technically third wife that he takes after Sarah dies. And he apparently has a lot of kids with her. Like, we know about Isaac and Ishmael, but there's a lot of sons. Zimran, Jokshan, Midian, Midian, Ishbak, I can go on. You know, names that we don't really talk about. But, if you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, this is a good start, having lots of kids. He gets to see them, Isaac, Ishmael, and all of Katara's children. He's promised the land of the Canaanites, and he's told that's not going to happen for 400 years. But Abraham owns some land now. There's a whole story that we skipped over where after Sarah dies, Abraham talks to the Hittites who live in the land, and he negotiates purchasing 
a cave where he can bury Sarah so she can have a regular tomb. And the Hittites have a great relationship with Abraham and he buys the land. And bonus, the cave comes with a field. So now Abraham has actual property. He's kind of been a nomadic squatter up to this point, which the peoples of the land were good and didn't kick him out. But now he actually has a deed that says, this is my territory. So it's just a small little acre in this promised land, but he gets that taste. He gets to see that little foretaste. And as for the peoples on earth will be blessed, we've seen Abraham have relationships with the Egyptians, with the Philistines, with the Hittites. His family of Qatar are going to go out to the peoples of the east. Ishmael is now living out, forming relationships. These relationships are getting started. I know it's crazy. I kind of hinted at this already that like these promises, Abraham gets to die with a taste of them and then they all get fulfilled for the most part, right? Do you know how quickly the descendants promises fulfilled? If you take it metaphorically. Because <laughs> I'm not sure if even today we know how many stars there are. But... Um, Exodus. By the time Exodus starts, do you know why the Pharaoh starts killing off the Israelite baby boys? Too many. There's too many because they're so numerous, almost like the sands of the seashore or the stars in heaven. And do you know when they get the land? Bible scholars here, Karen students, former Karen students. Eastern students? You know what it's represented. <laughs> when did they get the land? After 40 years in the desert. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what it's like. Deuteronomy. Joshua. Yeah. So there's Eastern education. There's kids. <laughs> yeah, in the book of Joshua, which is going to be four books after Genesis, um, Moses is going to have led the people out of Egypt and Joshua is going to lead them into the promised land. They're going to possess it. Just like God promised Abraham. How about all peoples on earth being blessed? This is the one that in the Old Testament, the other two happen relatively quickly if you're reading the Old Testament through. But this last one, all peoples on earth being blessed, doesn't really get touched on in the rest of the Hebrew Bible. You have Ruth, the Moabite, descended from Lot, Abram's nephew, who gets to be part of King David's ancestry. You have Naaman, he's a, uh, a general from Damascus who comes to Israel to get healed of his leprosy. And you have some interactions with the kings of Babylon and Persia, but for the most part, the Old Testament is a book about Israel for Israel, and the blessings being for Israel. This promise that all nations on earth are going to be blessed through Abraham's offspring doesn't really come to fruition because Abraham's offspring have their own issues that they're trying to work out. A lot of times they're not even a blessing unto themselves, let alone the world. And so what's the Sunday school answer? When do we see this third promise come to fruition? Jesus. Yay! Jesus, right? I didn't go to college. <laughs> he didn't even go to college, so. <laughs> <laughs> We're keeping.
word up here, but <laughs> Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We saw last week, right, like that as God asked Abraham to offer his one and only son in the same way God offers his to the world. And nobody stops God's hand when he puts his son on the cross. Jesus' life is given so that all peoples may know him. Jesus tells his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. All peoples on earth are now welcomed into the kingdom of God. Jesus moves the mission of Israel to stop being just about Israel, to stop being about land and people, and to focus outwardly, to focus on the spiritual kingdom of God, which affects people's day-to-day lives that might not be part of the kingdom of Israel. From the kingdom of Israel to the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, you know, the word offspring is an interesting word, right? Because it can be plural and singular, how you use it. And so Jesus is, in a way, that offspring who brings blessing to the whole world through Abraham. And I talk about all this because Abraham is relevant to us today. This chapter, we get to just kind of see him die and his sons bury him and There's not a lot that happens, but like I said, every nation on earth has Jews, Christians, Muslims who think Abraham is an important figure. And if you're a Christian, he's important for us. We might not be physically descended from Abraham, but the New Testament authors thought he was so key to our faith in Christ, to our relationship with God. Jesus is going to talk about real descendants of Abraham and what that actually means and how you can actually be physically descended from Abraham but actually be a child of Satan. Um, Jesus is going to tell a parable where paradise or heaven is going to be equated to Abraham's bosom and Abraham is going to have an interaction in that story with a rich man who doesn't care for the poor man named Lazarus. The author of Hebrews is going to write about how Our faith in action looks like Abraham's faith in God when he took Isaac up to that mountain to sacrifice Isaac. And the author of Romans, Paul, has a whole treatise that I'm going to quickly run through for you guys. Abraham's mentioned a lot in the book of Romans. One of the key passages is Romans chapter 4, where he talks about this. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Remember what I talked about that? Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised, or is it also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised, or before? It was not after, but before, and he received circumcision as a sign 
a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but will also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that may be grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Paul is a confusing writer, but do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying that Abraham represents the spiritual fatherhood because Abraham's relationship with God wasn't one based on Abraham lived an entire life doing good deeds and uh, following God, and then God made these promises to him. But in fact, Abraham heard these promises, and he believed. And because he believed, he got to do all the incredible good deeds and work and things like that. Which is good news, because as we've seen in our stories, if we wanted to kind of take a tally of is Abraham a good figure or not, the scales might not be totally weighted towards good, depending on how, how much you want to think that what was done to Hagar needs justice and what was done to Sarah needs justice. Abraham did not always do the right thing. And that's good news because I don't always do the right thing. I'm sure you don't either. So then, it's not whether you're circumcised it's not whether you've taken your son up to the mountain to be sacrificed. It's whether you believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. And so if we are Christians, what are some of the hopes that we have in God? What do we think God has told us he's going to do? If we obey the teachings of Christ, then it will bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Not even went to college. He'll wipe every tear from our eyes. Yeah. What are some of our other hopes as Christians? there's still injustice? Yeah. Sure. Do you still cry, Justin? Are the kingdoms of this world still in authority? Seems to be. Yeah. Like Abraham, we have these promises from God, but we only get a taste of them, most likely in our lives. There's going to be some generation of Christians that are going to be around to see Christ return. And it seems that every generation of Christians think they're the one. But for 2,023 years, it hasn't been the case yet. So 
keep that hope, but also know you might not be there to see when it is restored while you're in this form, while you're in this body, while you're breathing in these lungs. But hope is the key word there. We have to live as if Christ is back, as if he is already here. Just as Abraham went to the land and he believed that he was going to have these descendants and he believed that he was going to possess this land and he did something that was totally ridiculous for a 75-year-old man who should be retired and started over and started new and raised a kid. God promises us big things. He promises us that Christ is coming. He promises us heaven. And I think we... I wanted to kind of break down what heaven was, and I'm glad you guys sort of did already, because I don't think when we as Christians talk about going to heaven, we don't necessarily want heaven so much as what heaven means. Heaven means no more tears. Heaven means no more sin and injustice. Heaven means that God will be with us. That's the big one. That's the key. That we will be in the physical presence of God forever and ever, and nothing can take that away. And his light will cast out all darkness and sin and hate and shame. And we'll just be free. So yeah, so these are some of the uh, promises up here on the slide that I was just kind of thinking about this week. That, you know, if we have faith in Christ, we're promised... Oh, you can hit that slide, sorry, Kyle. Forward? Keep going. That's true, but... <laughs> there we go. There we go. Okay, yeah. That one day there's going to be no more pain, no more physical infirmity, no more uh, disease, no more uh, um, disability. There's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more tears, no more loneliness, no more anxieties, no more things that get in our head, make us think we're not good enough. No more shame, no more injustice, no more death, no more sin. All the things that make life hard and make us want to quit sometimes, there's going to be no more of that. All our trials, all our broken relationships, gone. And yet, while we're here, we still face these things. The Spirit is with us to help us and lead us and give us that taste but we're waiting for that day when we're going to be in the presence of God forever and ever. And so we have to hope. We have to hope like Abraham hoped. And we have to be confident that God is who he says he is. That God is always working for good, even when it doesn't seem like he is. That was one of the other lessons we've talked about this uh, sermon series. Because that's what the cross offers the world. That's what us Christians can offer the world is hope. Because the world knows that life is hard. The world knows about pain and sin and death. The world doesn't necessarily know hope. And so do you have that hope? Or do you need it renewed? Do you need to come to God and just ask him to help you to believe? Help your unbelief to believe that he is who he is. That he's doing what he has said. One of the other lessons Jesus teaches us about Abraham is that Abraham is not dead. He tells us to the Pharisees that God 
says to Moses that he is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. That though Abraham had lived 400 years before Moses, Abraham was still with God. That death doesn't get the final say, and neither do any of these things, or any of the things that I mentioned, or any of the things that are in your hearts and heads that are bringing your souls down into the darkness. They don't get the final say because God is real and God is light. And so believe it. That's what the sermon is. Abraham believed God, and so can you. And so which of these promises do you need confidence to hope in today? Any of the ones up there, any of the ones we mentioned, any of the ones that are your, that are in your soul? If you want to share, feel free to share. If you just need to take a moment to reflect, I'll give us you know, a minute of that space. But what do you need confidence to hope in today? I think for me, it's not up here, but the one that I've been thinking about this week has been just that God promises us freedom from our shame, from fear. I think those are the things that really bog my week down and just this, this feelings of insecurity and not being good enough and just wanting to beat myself up over uh, things big and small. I think in my head sometimes I can believe that God is real and I can know. But sometimes, like, I feel like I'm like my son, Ollie. You know, he's a year and a half. And, like, yesterday, I'm giving Ollie a bath. And he has uh, this baby shark microphone that sings baby shark when you press a button. And he loves it. He wanted to take it in the bathtub with him. I told him, no, we'll put it away and we'll get it after the bath. Because he loves it, but if it goes in the bath, it'll break. But even though... I told Ollie we'll play with it after the bath. It was hard for him to have the hope that he would get it back. <laughs> There's some uh, communication issues, I think, but <laughs> bath time was not a pleasant experience yesterday because Ollie really, really wanted to play with his toy again. And it wasn't in the room. Maybe it was gone forever. But it was there. And sometimes I think I'm like that. We're like, I, I may know that God says these things aren't going to be there, but it's hard for me to actually believe it when I'm in the bathtub and I don't see it. <laughs> so yeah, so for me, I think it's shame and fear. I'd like to share, just as I'm like thinking of this, you know, this thing that like most of my life in faith, I have... I haven't like truly believed in all the promises and so never really had like had to have an honest and difficult 
interactions with God in my dark times, uh, you know, I would more quickly be like, well, maybe God didn't really mean that. Maybe this is just not actually what he means. And more recently, I find myself, <clears throat> I'm very much a people pleaser, so when I'm in a bad mood and I'm around people, like I always try to insulate people from my honest, dark thoughts, and I decided more recently I wasn't going to do that with God. And if I was going to actually, like, in faith, believe any of the promises that are made, that I would have to emotionally hold God to that, which results, I've found in my experience, in being very angry and frustrated at times with God. And there's this, I don't know if any of you have seen, like, watch The Chosen, there's a scene where, like, Simon is screaming at God in the middle of the sea because he can't catch any fish to save his family or whatever. Uh, and very much connecting with that, I've, I've been having, you know, these are things that I would, if I knew anyone was around, I would, I would do it. But sometimes the things I say and the anger that is expressed, it, I, I realize like it comes from a place like, God, I actually really want to believe that, that you're going to make good on this. But I, if I'm going to actually believe that and make the investment, make that stuff, the natural result of it going unfulfilled for periods of time sometimes is anger and confusion and distress. And I need to be able to give expression to that as well. And rather than like, then in hindsight, condemning myself for years, I'm like, having to, oh, why didn't I have enough faith? It's like, well, I don't know why I didn't have enough faith, but I was angry and it didn't seem like it was true at the time, but I would rather be angry and believe that God actually did promise these things and be mad and frustrated at God that I'm not seeing it than just be like, eh, well, it's probably not true. So, okay, you know, like, I don't know if that resonates with anyone, but that's recently. No, thank you for sharing that. I mean, that's Genesis 15. Abraham comes to God and says, what's the deal? Like, you told me all these promises that I've been in the land 25 years and I don't have an offspring yet. Right. How can I know you're going to do what you said? And what's great about that passage is God doesn't turn away in anger or, like, condemning or be like, you know, spite him for talking back. But he says, God gives him a sign. God meets with him and is like, here's how you're going to know. And he actually talks to him. Same kind of thing with uh, right before Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, God tells Abraham he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham is like, are you the God, God of justice? You know, God of righteousness? Are you going to smite good people along with the bad? Like, what if there's 50 good people in the city? It kind of has this dialogue with God back and forth. Um, you know, we kind of see that there weren't 50 good people in the city, but again, God doesn't punish Abraham for talking to him that way. It shows that we're allowed to converse our fears and confusions to God and take them to him. And what happens is a sign of faith. Exactly. Like, the fact that we're moving towards God and not away is relationship. So, thanks for sharing that, Joey. Yeah. Anyone else have anything they wanted to, like, what are the hopes or, that you need reassured of that you need confidence in today or this week or this phase of your life? He didn't even go to college. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I would say that um, hope for hope for health. Um, it's been one that I tend to resign myself to not believing in. 
feel that for you, Scotty. Like, it's hard to read the Gospels and see all these here healings and then meet people with lifelong illnesses. And so, and where is God in that? And does this promise still stand? And like, the reality is, yes. It's just what is God's timing in ours. And yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. But thank you for sharing that. Jumping off from what Scott just said, hoping can hurt, but where I look at it, if you go seek from, from experience, if you go seeking the miracle directly, you know, you're probably not gonna find it. Just let just let it come to you, you know? I kinda agree with that, Kyle. And that's why I think like the most important one up there is God being with us. Like I think if your Christian walk is just based around like if, if Abraham's walk was I'm only following God because I want the land, because I want heirs, because I want my name to be known, whatever. I think that misses the point. I think if we're just following God for blessings or prosperity, no more pain, no more death, no more sickness, I think we're missing the point. I think God should be our central focus because God is good. God is love. God is the one who made us in his image and he loves us and And that when we walk towards God, sometimes those things, we get the taste of them now. And sometimes we don't, but this is his reality in his kingdom, in his presence. None of these things exist and that he's going to eradicate the brokenness one day and that he should be our focus, not just those things going away because it's in him that things are fixed. So thanks. Yeah, for me, it's the piece of uh, injustice. Um, it just feels like injustice is so rampant all over the world, not just here, all over the world. That is actually hard to imagine the world with no justice because it seems to be just the thing, you know, you know um, and uh, the powerful groups kind of promoting in their power and their you know, world, and, and sometimes the poor just. Struggling and struggling, and, and, and the righteous also struggling, you know. Um, but it, the, the piece of injustice it is really hard to imagine. Yeah, thank you, Fred. I, I think the injustice one, you know, God makes promises, and this is kind of what Julie was saying about the day, or was that Sky, the day of judgment, you know, where in some ways that is good news that. Those who have done wrong are going to be judged. But why does it take so long? You know, and I think that one is the one that, like, challenges my faith the most and breaks my heart the most. Sometimes I'll just, like, be reading news articles or hearing stories from people I know and love and how just such rampant abuse or systems are set up to keep them down. And it makes me scratch my head, especially when the church is part of the perpetrators. And I just, like, I want to cry out and just be like, what's the point, God? Like, what is the point, you know, you were supposed to fix all this? And, like, I'm trying, we're trying, but it feels like sometimes that the little individual, you know, it's like with uh, global warming or whatever. Like, I can recycle my Snapple bottle, but, you know look at all the pollution that's getting pumped out by factories and things like that. Is that really making a difference? And so what's the point? 
So thank you for sharing that, friend. I just, and this is where this passage is a little challenging. This is where Abraham's life is a little challenging of like, with all these things, believe they're true, right? <laughs> like, that's the hard part is like, it doesn't feel like they're true most of our lives. And yet, if we want to have faith like Abraham, we can doubt, we can express our frustrations to God, but the challenging part is belief they're true. And maybe like in the meantime, assuming a posture of acceptance and surrender that in the meantime, these things are still here and yeah, trying to find that yeah. balance between right. acceptance like, and knowing are we being stirred into an action? What do, we do? what do we do about this? Yeah, sometimes it feels like we're Abraham being told that like, no, you are not going to have this land in your lifetime. And in fact, there's 400 years of slavery between the time when you are going to have it. But it is coming. You know, there might be years of pain. There might be years of loneliness. There might be... And that sucks. You might die. But it's coming. Jesus has come. He's entered into all of these things. Jesus faced pain. Jesus faced tears. Jesus faced loneliness. He faced injustice. You know, he was the victim of injustice. He died. He bore our sin. And he's with us. So Jesus is the thing we look to to remember that God is doing what he's promised. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.